Go ahead, open your Bibles up to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. If you need a Bible, um, if, if you need one, go ahead and raise your hand. And I see a few people back there that might be able to drop one of those Bibles off to you. When you come in, every Sunday we have a table of Bibles over there. And I just want to encourage you to pick up a physical Bible. And I don't want to shame anyone who's looking at their Bibles on their phones. That's wonderful. I'm so glad we can have our Bibles with us all the time. Uh, but I love paper. And I think there is something about going through a book that's very helpful for us. So I encourage you to bring a Bible or grab one over there. And no shame, if you prefer the phone, that's wonderful as well. It is the first Sunday of a new year, 2024. Kind of wild to believe it's 2024. And uh, many of you probably already have or will be thinking about all the ways you want to improve yourself this year. I know that's a good rhythm for myself. Come to the end of a year, come to the beginning of a new year. You're thinking of all the rhythms and habits and the bad habits that you have and, and areas where you just want to improve, where you want to see yourself get stronger, you want to see yourself maybe just improve in all different kind of areas. And this is a church I know that uh, we're, we tend to be a people who are go-getters, uh, meaning we like to get the work done, we like to work hard, and we like to be the best version of ourselves. And so my guess is there are quite a lot of goals that you have. Goals for building wealth, goals for finding jobs or getting new jobs, goals for getting back in shape, goals for reading different books. We're goal-oriented people. But as Christians... Our primary goal that we should be asking ourselves every year as we reflect on our own personal health is how is, our, how is our walk with the Lord and are we experiencing the presence of the Lord in all areas of our life? And what do we need to be doing? Looking ahead at a new year, 2024, what do we need to be doing to reorganize, to remove bad habits that are hindering our walk with God and to strengthen better habits in Christ? There's no better time than the beginning of a year to really analyze where we're at and how we can do better. And I pray that no Christian starts setting goals for themselves that has everything to do with the rest of their life and they forget your walk with Christ. Permit, so permit me to ask you a very simple question as you begin this year. Do you have a deep and abiding joy in the Lord? And if not, what is hindering you from experiencing that on a day-to-day -day basis? Let me remind you of something. This is an election year. It's 2024. So let me go there for a second. We're looking at the year ahead that's going to be, I don't care how you slice it, this is going to be a highly divisive and toxic year out there. And the, the trap that's going to happen, as not just politically, but with everything happening in the world and in our city, everything, the trap is all of that consumes your mind and you're thinking about it and you're mulling it over and you've got an opinion, you've got an argument with this person, and all of a sudden, you realize your walk with the Lord is not what it should be. And our, the, the trap is going to be that we bring that in here. Man, and if this is anything like 2020 was, we, were, we went through some rough spots as a church over some of these things. So the question I'm asking you this morning is, what are you doing? What habits are you forming with the Lord right now, January, knowing what's coming ahead? to ensure that your walk with the Lord is strong as you go through this year that's coming up ahead of us. Originally, I was set to preach two messages this week and next week on Acts chapter 18 on discipleship. 
And uh, as I got to writing, I realized that we needed a little bit of a different direction for this year. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 136 today. Next week, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 18. Uh, In your small groups, uh, you'll be having two weeks on covering discipleship. We'll be in Acts 18 next week. But today, I want to look at Psalm 136. And uh, this is a really precious psalm. It's designed to be a call and response psalm. And so we're going to do something a little unique right now. We are going to read this the way the ancient Hebrews would have done it. If you can imagine all of them gathered outside the temple courts or gathered in their gatherings and the leader would have gotten up in front of them, he would have then read this psalm. If you notice in this psalm, every other line is this, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's your line, okay? So we're gonna read this together. I'm gonna invite you to stand up for the reading of God's word. And we're gonna be looking at this psalm for trying to give us some principles how we can maintain a firm joy in the Lord in 2024. So here's what we'll do. I'm gonna read the parts that are unique to each verse. And when I raise my hand each time, you can respond with, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. Go ahead, be seated. What a way to start the new year, huh? Remembering who God is and why we can have an indestructible joy in the face of a culture that wants to rob us of joy in every corner. From this psalm, I want to pull out what I believe are 10 key principles for maintaining an indestructible joy, whatever comes to you. Because there's 10, I got to go a little quickly through all 10 of them. They could each be their own sermon, but we're going to have an indestructible joy by the time this thing's done. Number one, 
indestructible joy. Why? Because God is good. Verse one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. God is good. How many of you know that God is good? How many of you have stories you can tell about God's faithfulness and goodness in your life? Over and over, hasn't it just been the story in your life, Christian? You've seen him over and over demonstrating his goodness to you even when you didn't deserve it, even when you weren't really looking for it. And there it is again, his goodness showing up. When I think of God's goodness, I think of God as a heavenly father. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray, our Father who in heaven? Over and over again, Jesus uses the, the image of a father to convey God's love for us. Now, some of us, some of you in this room, you may have had a dad who had any number of challenges and any number of hard things that you went through with your relationship with your own dad. And that might, in fact, be hindering your understanding and awareness and joy in the Lord when you think of God as a good father. You might actually be bringing in some of the ways that your own dad failed you into your relationship with God, and then that's hindering you from walking day to day in the presence of the goodness of God as father. Maybe some of you had a dad who was just emotionally unengaged. He just, you had all the things you were going through, and you just knew dad, that was not a dad thing. That wasn't something you brought to dad. He just was emotionally cut off. Maybe some of you had a, a, a father who was a, overly strict disciplinarian, the kind of dad where there wasn't a tenderness to him. Maybe some of you had a dad who was an absent father. He just wasn't there. Maybe you still do. And, and the challenge for you is to remind yourself over and over again that even if you had a dad on this earth who was supposed to represent God, your heavenly father, for you in some ways, point you towards him, even if he failed, your heavenly father is good. He knows you, he cares for you, and he is tender with you, and he delights in being good towards you. Why do we forget this? Well, some of us are blind, and we don't realize, we don't have spiritual eyes to see the goodness of God. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you might call yourself spiritual, but you do not have eyes to see the goodness of God in reality. Until you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the entryway to understanding who God is in reality. Until then, you're only an enemy of God. You can't see God in reality. You might not know God's goodness because you're blind to it. Some of you might not be walking in the goodness of God because you're consumed with the goodness of yourself. And there's this oversaturation of self and ego in your life and your whole world and all your thoughts are about your own job, your own bank account, your own goodness, your own greatness, and God gets the little tip at the end of the day. There's no goodness of God in your life because you're too good yourself. Some of you might not sense the goodness of God in this season of life, frankly, because you're just going through a really hard season and life is just a little bit overwhelming right now. And for you particularly, I have a very pastoral heart. I've met with a lot of you over the last few months, especially through Christmas, this comes up for a lot of folks, the hardship. And I just wanna speak to you, I wanna remind you that no matter what you go through, we can have an indestructible joy. Why? For he is good. He loves to be near you and for you to open your heart to him and to be the healing that you need in the midst of whatever you're going through. And your job is to push deeper into your faith in Christ because he is a tender and good father. God has not forgotten you. God is good. Indestructible joy. Number two, why can we have an indestructible joy? 
because he is the God of gods. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then it says, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Two different words are used there. The first one in verse 2 is the word Elohim. That's a good word for us to know. Give thanks to the Elohim of Elohims. Isn't that interesting? Elohim, it oftentimes is in reference to the one true and living God, but it also at times in the, in the Hebrew Bible speaks of spiritual beings, right? It might refer to any kind of different spiritual being. And so what this is saying is he is the, he is the Elohim of Elohims. He is the highest spiritual being there is. there is. There is no higher supreme court. He is the one who was before all other spiritual beings. We live in a world that is both physical and spiritual. If you reject that, then you reject the Bible. And atop all of the spiritual world is the Elohim of Elohims, Elohim himself. And then it says that he is the Lord of Lords. That word is Adonai. He's the Adonai of Adonai's. Now, the word Adonai also is a reference to God, oftentimes used kind of like a name for God, but it also is a term that kind of means Lord or Master. It's used in reference to other people besides God as well. In an earthly sense, a Lord or a Master, he is the Lord of Lords. Oftentimes, you'll hear the, the phrase that is used, he's the King of Kings. What that means is that every other person who holds authority or power in this world, ultimately, whether they know it or not, bends the knee to a higher king and a higher lord. He's the Adonai of Adonais. Now, that's really good news for us, isn't it? Because what that means is, is that whatever we see happening in the world around us, whatever wars we see bring out, breaking out, whatever tyrants we see, whether domestically or internationally, what we have to know is that there is a higher power to which every power ultimately bends the knee. Now, this might sound strange to you. Why can you have an indestructible joy? God is worthy of worship, not just because what he's done for you. Now, there's a lot he's done for you. But he's worthy of worship and will give you an indestructible joy simply because he is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. Praise God. Because what are, the, what are the other options? What if he's not God of gods? What if there's no God? Now, that's an absurd hypothesis. Our world cannot function without God over it. The fool says in his heart there is no God. But let's just imagine that scenario for a second. What that means is what's in control Chance and chaos. If there is no God who's sovereignly over all things, writing history according to his good purposes, the only other option is that chance is in control. And that means that our life is utterly out of control. We have ultimately no direction. We have no knowledge of where we're going and no hope of where it might go. Chance is in control or chaos. Or what if God is God, but he's not good? What a fearful thing that would be. To fall into the hands of a, of a tyrant, unjust judge, an unrighteous king? No. No, God is God. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And he's over all things. And he's good. Which means that the one who controls your life, who dictates your steps, who organizes all of history, who is for you in Christ Jesus, is sovereign over all things... And he's for you and he's good. You can have a hope. You can have an indestructible joy. Number three, verse four. You can have an indestructible joy because he alone does great wonders. Oh, 
What remarkable language. You know, one of the, the challenges we have when we read verses like these is you kind of chalk it up to just bible language, right? And you skim over it. He does great wonders. Yeah, I know it. I've seen this. I've read it. I know that about God. I've heard the pastor say it. He does great wonders. Wait a second. No. What a treasure this verse is. Who is God? To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. The Christian is a person whose eyes have been opened. They're a person who doesn't just see the world happening around them, but the Christian is somebody who's come to know God through the person of Jesus Christ and then is aware that God is always, at all times, orchestrating all events in wonderful and miraculous ways that you oftentimes can't see unless you're working to see the spiritual reality around you. God forbid a Christian goes through all of their life just with their physical eyes and never sees the spiritual reality of what's taking a place among them. Jesus spoke about this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. It is possible to see all of God's wonders happening around you with your physical eyes, and yet not see them with your spiritual eyes. Christian, can I just let you know, God has been doing wonders in your life, whether you've recognized them yet or not. And it is incumbent upon you, in fact, it is your duty to go before God regularly and ask him to show you the wonders he's been up to, to fuel your faith, to strengthen your faith. You want to make it through 2024 with an indestructible joy? Take inventory from time to time. Remind yourself of all the wonders he's done. You've got to ask God to give you eyes to see the wonders everywhere. It's possible to come to church every Sunday, to go through the motions and not see God in the midst of it. It's possible to serve the poor and the the hungry and the immigrant and the refugee among you. It's possible to be very charitable and yet to miss the spiritual wonders of God breathing life into his church and into this world. Think about this. It's possible to know that two plus two equals four and not realize that there is a God who ordained the world with order and logic so that we can live in faithfulness unto him. You see, every moment is an opportunity for praise when you know that God is a God of wonders. It gives you an indestructible joy when you know it, when you begin to see it. Number four, give thanks to God, have an indestructible joy because he is creator and sustainer. Now this is interesting. Verses five through nine begin to get through. They're, they're filling out this God of wonders, right? And then it moves, well, what kind of wonders? And really the wonders go all the way down through verse 22, but I'd break into two main, main, main things here. First is he's creator and sustainer, verses five through nine. To him who by understanding made the heavens, verse six, who spread out the earth, who spread out the earth above the waters, verse seven, who made the great lights, verse eight, the sun to rule over the day, verse nine, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. He is creator. He is sustainer. I had, I've shared this with you before, but I had a seminary professor who, who used to, I love this man. He, he's, I see him from time to time still, and he's, every time I see him, he's just one of those old sages who breathes depth and godliness into your life just to be around him. It's the kind of guy I want to be like when I'm older. But he, uh, he used to say, never go a day without stopping to look at God's creation, even in the city, and just beholding it and letting it breathe truth of 
how mighty and wonderful God is. And you say, how do I do that? I'm surrounded by concrete. Well, it's tough in the city. It's tough. You gotta get out of the city every once in a while to really see the stars. But you can do it in the city. I like to go on prayer walks in the morning and, and I'm gonna make myself sound overly sentimental and I assure you I don't do this as well as it sounds like I am right now. But sometimes I'll stop and I'll walk by a tree and I'll remember my professor's words. I'll just look at the bark on the tree. I think God is a God of wonders. He's creator, isn't he? I have a secret love of uh, documentaries that show uh, nature and creation. Remember Planet Earth when that first came out? That was an amazing documentary. And since then, they've made dozens of them. It puts into, into light Psalm 19.1, which says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I love these documentaries. It showcases the creation and sustaining of God. How many of you have watched a hummingbird flutter in place and seen the speed which its wings flutter in order to just stay in an exact spot? Oh, doesn't that just proclaim the glory of God? How many of you have watched that scene of the great white shark leaping out of the water to catch its prey, the strength of that creature that God made, the glory of God on display? You ever watched a peacock spread its feathers? I'd never seen this. This, this, this thing they do, it takes about 30 seconds for their feathers to come out. It's like a piece of art, the glory of God on display. You ever seen a pack of wolves hunt their prey, working together to get the different corners and then come in on the edges by instinct. They know how to work the system to catch their prey. The glory of God on display. You ever seen the mating dance of a rifle bird? <laughs> this is remarkable. I know this sounds strange. It turns, it contorts its body into something that doesn't even look like a bird anymore. <laughs> it looks like a, a half of a dish with a shining blue bowl underneath it dancing like this. It's got something to teach them single men in the room. Mating dances of rifle birds showcase the glory of God. Turn that on and don't just see it with your physical eyes. See it with your spiritual eyes. The God of creation. He made it to his glory. It's so creative and beautiful. And what about the crowning glory of his creation? humanity. This is one of the great joys. I don't forget, Kenson preached a sermon years and years ago that I've never forgotten. He was talking about the importance of city ministry. And he said, you know, one of the, the sweet things about city ministry is everyone, you know, we, we complain about living in so close quarters with each other. It's so tight, you don't have enough space, and I complain about that. But, but what if you saw it through spiritual eyes for a second? God's crowning creation in all of the universe is humanity made in the image of God. It's, the, it's unique among everything else. We're not the same. And in a city, you're all right next to each other. You've got image of God on image of God on image of God on image of God on image of God right next to image of God next to image of God next to... What if, what if we began to see with our spiritual eyes the glory of God on display? You want an indestructible joy in 2024? You've got to have spiritual eyes to see the image of God on every street corner you walk by. See how your day starts to change? He's sustainer. He's holding it all together. Verses 10 through 16, fifth point, fifth reason you can have an indestructible joy. Verses 10 to 16, he's redeemer. 
He is redeemer. Look at verses 10 to 16. This is recounting what God did for Israel when, he, when they were in slavery and he helped them get out of slavery into freedom. Verse 10, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Verse 11, he brought Israel out from among them. Verse 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he divided the Red Sea in two. Verse 14, he made Israel pass through the midst of it. Verse 15, he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and he led his people through the wilderness. God is a redeemer. And, and specifically, he's highlighting the Exodus story because the Exodus story among the people of God in the Old Testament, that was the great narrative. And we forget this, actually. It was the greatest narrative of their identity as a people, the people of God in Israel, the Israelites. They would always, everything went back to the Red Sea and how they were delivered from Israel. They were slaves who miraculously, by God's strength, were redeemed from that oppressive tyrant who was Pharaoh. In a miraculous way, they went through the Red Sea and that, that story for an Israelite was everything. It was their identity. They were slaves who had been set free. And Christian, that story points you to the greater story of how Christ has set you free from slavery. You were bound. You were shackled. You were in slavery, spiritually speaking, to a tyrant that was far worse than Pharaoh was. And he had you. There was no way out of it. You could not have gotten out if you tried. But Christ entered into the story. Just as God sent Moses back into Egypt, Christ came into your story, and from the inside out, he set you free. How? By going to the cross and defeating death itself. He went underneath the wrath of God in order to pay the penalty for your sins. He shed his blood because the scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He was crucified, buried, but then raised on the third day in order to validate everything that he said and did. And in Christ, you have been redeemed by an either even greater redemption than the Israelites under the Old Testament when they were redeemed from Israel. He's your redeemer. Now, in the old days what they used to do is they would tell themselves that story of the crossing of the Red Sea always. Fathers would stay up late with their kids by a fire and they'd tell them the story of the crossing of the Red Sea and their heritage and who they were. They'd come together regularly and recount how God had redeemed them. And that's what we do every Sunday, church. Every time we come together, we're retelling the story of our great redeemer and how we were slaves, but we've been set free in Christ. And I want you to know, if you're in this room right now and you've never actually experienced being set free in Christ, I want you to know you are still a slave. You might not know it, but there are shackles over your life that are keeping you bound. And, and you don't know what it means to love God. You don't know the freedom that there is in God because you've never been set free from him but you need to receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, he literally, he flings the shackles off and you begin a new life in freedom. How can you have an indestructible joy? You tell yourself the redemption story that you have in Christ every day of your life. You keep preaching the gospel to yourself until you're walking in the fullness of it. He's your redeemer. Number six, verses 17 to 22, how can you have an indestructible joy? Well, you have to remember that he is and will be victorious. This is an interesting little section, 17 through 22. It recounts all the kings who God struck down when Israel took over the promised land, right? 
He struck down great kings. Verse 18, he killed mighty kings. And then it lists them. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Og, king of Bashan. And then he took the land that belonged to these pagan kings and he gave the land of Israel to the Hebrew people. God did that. That's what he did. That's the story. Now, what do we get from that? God is and will be victorious. Now, we're in a season of world history where we have more access to information than any generation that's ever come before us. You open your phone in the morning, you start looking at the news, and you can know what's going on in Bangladesh political processes just by quickly just looking at your phone. It's amazing. We can know more about what's happening in the world than ever. And one of the things that happens as we begin to look at the world, we look at, we look at the, the pagan kings that are doing abominable things around the world. And we begin to grow weary. We watch a war break out with Russia and Ukraine. And we begin to say, where does this go? We watch the satanic group known as Hamas, which means violence. That's what the word means. Brutally rape and torture over a thousand innocent civilians in Israel. Entering into a prolonged war in the Middle East that doesn't look like it's getting better or shorter. And what happens is you see these things happening and we begin to be overwhelmed by political happenings of tyrant kings. Where do we turn? Verse 17. Him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Who? Sihon, king of the Amorites. You want to talk about ruthless tyrants? How about Sihon and Og? Those were ruthless tyrants who were political leaders who killed innocent children on flaming altars regularly. That's what he did. That's who they were. And who came along? God and his people. And put an end to it. He's victorious. Now this might sound trite. God is victorious. It's trite. Okay, he's victorious. Well, where's his victory? Here's what you have to know, Christian. Jesus has ultimate victory. Why? Because he's the king of kings and his word will prevail, and not one tyrant who ever rules in this world will end up not bending the knee to Jesus, whether in this life or the next. Jesus has ultimate justice. Now, in our lives, that might be prolonged for reasons that we do not know because God's mysterious ways are beyond our own, and he has not given us the title to look into history and see exactly how each thing unfolds according to his purpose. But it's not out of control. It's in the king's control, and he will see it through. Why? Because he is victorious. And his victory over every ruthless king will come on the exact second that he has preordained it to come. Now, if you don't believe that, you keep turning to the pages of Scripture until you do believe it. And what then happens as you begin to believe that is you begin to look at the news and the world happening around you in different ways. It doesn't overwhelm you, but actually what it does is it causes you to go back to God and say, I'm so glad you're in control, and I'm so glad you're good, and I trust you. Now give me an indestructible joy. Christians ought to read the news different. In the end, Christ has total victory. In the end, Hamas is crushed. In the end, every ruler and tyrant and individual that dares to stand against the living God will be put to shame. And Christian, you can take pleasure in that. You can take great pleasure in that. God is a God of justice. Number seven, why can you have an indestructible joy? 
because he remembers us. Verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. You know, it's not uncommon for me to hear when I meet with folks for any pastoral reason that someone has some reason they've concocted why they feel ashamed or wrong to bring their heartache and their hardship to God. This is not an uncommon thing I hear. Maybe you feel that. The two most, com- most often reasons they feel that way is one, because they say, in the grand scheme of things, God's got much bigger fish to fry than my, you know, my little issue over here. That's, that's something common I hear. God's doing this, God, you know, God's governing wars over here. What does he have to do with me just wanting a job, right, you know? And then number two, the thing I oftentimes hear is that, uh, that, that, that we have, you know, our hardships are because of our own faults. We're the ones who've messed up. We know that, and so God doesn't need to answer our prayers. I hear that so often. No, no. He remembers us in our low estate. Let me minister to you beginning of 2024. Let me me just like push, let me just pastor you for a second. God delights in ministering to you and remembering all of your affairs of your life. His capacity does not grow short. So he can at the same time govern a war in Israel as he can make sure you have everything you need to follow him. And, and, and there's no shortage. He, he doesn't have m- less capacity because he's doing this thing over here. No, he's always got full capacity for all things. Why? Because he's God of gods. He's Elohim of Elohim and Adonai of Adonai, and he's good. So there's no shortage, right? He's not limited the way we are. And he loves you and he cares for you in Christ Jesus. What that means is that if you want an indestructible joy that can't be taken from you this year, you've got to learn how to bring all of your needs without shame, without hesitation, to the God who delights to hear them from you. Habakkuk chapter one, verse two. It's this interesting verse. The prophet himself, he says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? You know, maybe some of you feel that way. It's like, I've been praying so long, I'm just growing weary. And I, I just want an answer, but I'm not getting an answer. I'm kind of looking for other solutions besides praying over it. How does God answer that? Three verses later. Habakkuk verse one, chapter one, verse five. God says this to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. See, Christian, God is doing a thousand things behind the scenes that you cannot see. And he invites you to remain faithful and persevere in prayer, in steadfast prayer. He invites you to just sit and behold the wonder of God as he moves at his pace and trust that his pace is for your good and his glory and he's not gonna get it wrong. You might be growing weary. You might be getting tired of asking for the same thing. But Christian, take heart in the God who delights to remember you in your lowly estate. Let that form a joy in you that just keeps coming back to the good father who delights to give good gifts to his children. Number eight, verse 24. Why can you have an indestructible joy in God this year? Well, verse 24, because he rescues us from our foes. Now, some of these themes might be overlapping a little bit, but this is unique, and I love this one. He rescues us. Another common question I get, again, related to this, is why does God permit so much evil? Probably the number one apologetics questions. You wanna talk about the case for Christianity that I'm gonna make in the next three weeks in that class? 
That's the number one question people have. Skeptics, I know, why does God allow so much evil? And it's, you know, I, I don't wanna, I never wanna give a, a slight answer to that question because most people who are asking that question have really been hurt. And there's, uh, there's only deep answers to that question. But I do know this, that if God's sovereign and his hand is gracious, I wonder how much he's rescued us from that we don't actually see or know. You know, there's these videos on YouTube I've seen. They're called Dad Saves. Anybody seen Dad Saves? I love these things. It's like there'll be like a dad at a baseball game with his kid and, you know, a bat will break and it'll be flinging through. through. It's gonna hit a kid in the head and a dad will backhand grab the bat behind him to protect the kid from getting struck in the head with a bat. And it's just this like instinct that dads have to somehow like catch their kid when they're falling off of a crib. And it's amazing. And the kid doesn't even realize it. The kid's just eating his hot dog and like this shard bat has just flown at him at 100 miles an hour and the dad's rescued him. And I wonder like that how many times and in how many ways God has protected us and rescued us without us ever taking notice of it. Isn't that interesting to think about? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why? Well, that's a subjective question, isn't it? How are you measuring that? Why isn't there so much more evil in the world? That's maybe a better question to ask, maybe a bit more objective if we were to actually measure how sinful the human heart is. Why don't we have it so much worse? It's probably a better way to ask the question. I know the answer to that. Because of God's grace. He, he's the sole sustaining and gracious provider that keeps the world from falling into the depth of sin it could. And most importantly, he protects his church. I've learned this as a pastor. Sometimes it feels like the church is on their heels. That the church, you know, you got, you got one step back and, and, and you're kind of wondering like, do I, do I go forward, do I not? And I just maybe it's better to keep quiet. I've learned over the last 10 years of ministry that ministry is not done well on your heels. That is not the way to do it, why? Because we have to believe that God's our rescuer. We've gotta believe that he goes before us. We've gotta believe that he wins our battles for us. It is so much better to be strong in faith and strong in the Lord and trust that he's going before you than to be defensive and not sure if God's actually able to rescue you from what you're going into. The risk of being bold in your faith is that you find yourself in a fight that you feel you cannot win. You can't win it. On your own, you can't win. You will fall on your face and lose 100% of the time. But guess who goes before you? Your king. And he is a rescuer. He is a winner. He defeats his enemies. You're not on your own. Christ is the head of his church. And this is a bit of a call today, beginning of the year, to have an indestructible joy that's not on your heels, playing defense against the world, pushing in on you constantly, but to take back ground in the name of the king. And to say the church is here and alive and we stand on the word of God unapologetically. And he goes before us and he wins our battles. So bring what you will. The world needs to see that. And you need that, Christian. You need that confidence for an indestructible joy. Number nine, simple, very simple. From verse 25, he who gives food to all flesh. I'll keep this very short. Did you eat breakfast this morning? If not... There's donuts back there for you, okay? <laughs> Who gave you the breakfast? And you say, well, I did. I worked for it. I earned the money. I went to the store. I bought the, I, you know, I bought the car that got me to the store to buy the groceries. Yeah. 
I know. Who made the food grow? Who brought the rain that made the food grow? Who gave you a brain to go to work? Who made it so that you live in this country where you have opportunities to work and provide a living that are not possible in other nations? I'd have to change this segment if I were preaching certain nations right now. Who does all that? The sovereign hand of our merciful God. Here's an application for you. Determine in your soul, beginning of 2024, never to rush through grace again. You sit down for a meal. We gotta teach our kids this. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. God, thank you for this food. Amen. Ciao. No. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. You sit down before a meal. You look at that beautiful plate of food. You give thanks to the God who made the rain to make the food grow. And, and what happens is when you begin to fervently pray that way over a meal, then, then this indestructible joy starts to well inside of you. It, again, it, it, that is how you begin to remove the, the scales from your eyes. Remember, Paul had to have the scales from his eyes fall off. And, and some of us, we just need to have the scales fall off to see it, to look at a plate of food and to say, wow, right? That'll form something in you this year that can't be robbed no matter what comes. Number 10, why? Well, this is the verse that's repeated throughout this entire psalm. For his steadfast love endures forever. How long? How long does his steadfast love endure for? Forever. You know, steadfast love is an interesting term in the Hebrew. It's a, it's a really key term. Um, and it, it's this description of this covenant loyalty that God has with those who he's entered into relationship with. It's this bonding and binding that cannot be taken from you. Think of like two metals that have been forged together. You know when the guys come with that thing that blows the fire out and it melts the metal and it forges them together and you can't pull it apart. They're stuck together. They're, they're bound together. You'll, 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 if you try to break it, you're gonna break a different part of the metal than you will where that binding took place. That's the, the hesed love. That's the, the steadfast love that God has for you. It's this covenant relationship. It can't be broken and it lasts forever. Christian, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000 to the 10th degree years from now, when you're worshiping in heaven and enjoying the fruit of the presence of God Almighty before him and enjoying community without sin and without any of this stuff that tarnishes all of life, when you've been there that long, you will have only scraped the surface of the depth of what it means to know all there is to know about God, to experience all the joys of the presence of God and all the life that is to be had in God. And the, tent the temptation is to see all of life that's happening, all of the, the moments, the worldly affairs that we have to deal with, the issues that we've got to navigate, and to only see that in Christian you will not have an indestructible joy if all you see is the worldly affairs of your life. You've got to lift your eyes up and have what the old saints used to call an eternal perspective that shades every other part of life. Because when you do that, you begin to see that there is more to life than what you can see with your eyes. This matters. This is important, but this is not ultimate. There's something bigger. 
and you have been made to live for that which is bigger and that which will last forever. And only in Christ is there steadfast love forever, indestructible joy for all eternity. You were made for it. It's only in Christ. It's nowhere else. And everything in this world will try to take your eyes off of that, but do not let it. Do not let 2024 and all the ways to divide take your eyes for one blinking second, one blink of the eye from the steadfast love of God that endures forever. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we love you, and we want that indestructible joy this year. We want to live it. And I pray in Christ's name that you would give it to us and grant it to us. Make us steal men and women what they used to call them. Steel men and women. We can't be bent or broken. We can't be submitted to some other authority or submitted to some other desire, God, because our, our eyes are fixed on you. Our joy comes from the strength of the Lord. God, we love you. We thank you for Christ on the cross. Grant us a joy that does not fade. I pray in Christ's name, amen.